Is it okay now? Okay, good. Well, sorry about that. So you've got um, the book of Habakkuk in front of you. We're going to take a helicopter view through that book of the three chapters. And as we do that this morning, I'd just like to share with you um, just something a little bit about what we saw. We'll talk a little more about Asia and uh, that part, region of the world that so desperately needs to hear the gospel. We read in the first chapter of Habakkuk, and if you look at verse 1 again, it begins by saying, the burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. The burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. As we look at this portion of scripture, which is reminded of not only what Habakkuk went through at that time and what he did see, but it gives us a glimpse of what we see in our time, in our generation, even right now. You know, two months before his death, when speaking to the congregation at Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, Dr. King said that this is how we wished to be remembered. Here's what he said, and I'm quoting. I'd like somebody to mention that that day that Martin Luther King Jr. tried to give his life serving others. I'd like somebody to say that day that Martin Luther King Jr. tried to love somebody. Yes, if you would want to say that I was a drum major, say I was a drum major for justice. Say that I was a drum major for peace. Say that I was a drum major for righteousness. And all of the other shallow things will not matter. I won't have any money to leave behind. I won't have many luxuries to leave behind. But I just want to leave a committed life behind. I just want to leave a committed life behind. That's how we wanted to be remembered. And that's what I'd like to preach on this morning about a committed life. We just saw a video which just reflects for us 8 billion people that live in this world. 5.4 billion of them live in that 1040 region. And yes, we would say that, you know, we would love to see change in the world. But you could see the change that can take place and begin in somebody's life right here next to you that needs to hear the gospel and how that life and how that person's work can be different and it, it can extend from their own. I had the opportunity back in 2018 to meet a gentleman by the name of John Maxwell and he made a statement because I was at a stage in my life as I was just moving along in my, in my career and having lunch, I asked him a question as to you know, what had actually just helped him in his journey. And he made this statement. He said, everything, the rest of our lives, everything begins with a decision. And then we have to manage that decision for the rest of our life. I haven't forgotten that statement because that lunch and that time just influenced me with regards to what God would have me do, you know, with the rest of my life. And that is to seek to add value wherever I can, to seek to influence wherever, wherever I can, and help others be the best that they can be in the hands of an almighty God. So as we think about a committed life, I want to share with you this morning what are three things that would define 
a committed life? What are three characteristics that would define such a life? As we look at the book of Habakkuk, the first, the first point that comes out here is that a committed life is a life that is defined by a purpose. It's a life that is defined by a purpose. How many of you will agree that the world we're living in needs change? If I ask you, ask for a show of hands, all of you would put your hands up. It'll begin with those that are living right next to you and all the way across the rest of the world. And I want you for a moment with me to consider the condition of the world that we're living in. And that's what Habakkuk was talking about. He was burdened as he saw the condition of God's people and how they were living their lives all around him. And he, he knew the judgment of God that was going to come along. And he wanted to caution them, but they weren't paying attention. But the condition of the world we're living in is no different. You know, in this last year since May, I've had the opportunity to travel again, no doubt, like many of you, with the borders opening out, whether you to go in or come back in. I've spent, you know, I've spent uh, a couple of trips in the United States. I've been at, in the Middle East and in Egypt for a conference, and it was just wonderful to see God's people coming together from that part of the world. I've had the opportunity to travel through Asia and through Sri Lanka four times. But here's what it is. It doesn't matter which part of the world you're in. It doesn't matter who you talk to this morning. The world and people are in a place where they are giving up hope. And they're looking for someone or something that can give them something to focus on as they think about life and their future. We're living in a troubled time. You, you know, as you think about that, you think about this, Habakkuk talks about some personal troubles. He talks about personal sorrows that he saw all around him. And if we look around, you know, as you walk out of this church this morning, and if you walk into a cafe, you're going to see some people that have shattered dreams. You know, that, are, that have shattered hopes. You will meet people filled with regret over bad decisions and wasted opportunities. You'll see people that are going through the middle of destroyed relationships. You'll see people encounter people going through financial hardship. You'll find people that are in the fear of something catastrophic that's about to take place in their life and they don't know what that is, whether that's a health situation, a health care that you're experiencing or someone in your family. And we know how those could come just in, the, in, in an instant. That's the world that we're living in. People carrying a great deal of personal sorrow. But Habakkuk also talks about the times that he just was living in and experiencing. And not only were there personal sorrows, they were living in the midst of perilous situations. I don't know how many of you have been, been following the news this past week. And you saw or you read about a young man, Stephen Turrell, that was shot in the streets of Baghdad, a missionary who had been living there, serving, loving the people of Iraq since 2012. You know, you, you go through the rest of Asia, you hear of what's taking place. There is, um, you know, in India, there was the anti-conversion bill that was introduced. And if you are caught in that state of Karnataka, witnessing and somebody reports you, you could actually be spending a significant portion of your life in, in, in prison. That's the time that we're living in. But not only a time of personal sorrow and, you know, you're seeing perilous situations taking place in the form of persecution and difficulty, we're seeing a permissive society. 
And that's what Habakkuk talks about in verse 4. And there is a slackness of the law. Judgment is corrupt. And the wicked seem to be getting away. Doesn't that sound like the times that we're living in? You know, if you think about what's taking place right here with regards to what's being, what's, you know, what a permissive society is beginning to look like. We're just reminded of the condition of the world. But not only do we see the condition of the world, you also see the complacency of God's people. That's what Habakkuk saw. There was a complacency at that time, and it is no different right now. We're seeing that, you know, I was one of those, I was saved at the age of 17. Till the age of 37, I was happy that I was, if I died, I would go to heaven. But I did not care about anybody else. I did not tell anybody else about the gospel. Nobody told me that I had to. I didn't even care to share the gospel with my parents. But I know better now. But God had to knock me on my head and put me on my back with a 450-pound explosive that blew up a whole street for God to get my attention. And I'm sure he tried to get my attention many times before in, a, in, in, in many more simpler forms. But I was so focused on my life and my career that I wasn't willing to listen till he put me on my back. But what are you doing with the gospel that God's given you today? Are you keeping it to yourself? But that was, that's, that, that's where many of us find ourselves from time to time. Not only are we comfortable keeping the gospel to ourselves, we're caught, we can get caught up with wrong priorities. I'm not saying they're wrong priorities in that they're bad, but sometimes we let the good get in the way of the better things that God has for us and the best things that God has for us. And I've been there. We can get complacent with our purpose, our commission. We can focus on you know, things of this life of building treasures for ourselves right here and be caught up in that. And even sometimes as a church, we can grow cold to the needs that are around us, maybe right in this community, right in this state, in this country. And we were talking about that even yesterday with regards to the need for some churches, for need for young men once again to surrender and say, God, I'm willing to go wherever you would have me go, whether that's to the next suburb or halfway across the world. That's up to God as to where he wants to use you and how he wants to use you. And so we see as we think about the condition of the world, we also see the complacency that can set into any one of our lives at any given stage. The word of God will always become ineffective in a permissive society. But it will also become ineffective in a permissive life or a permissive church. And the question for us to consider this morning is, what characterizes your life? Would you say your life has become one that's permissive, one that's let other priorities step in and get in the place of what God desires to do in and through your life. You know, when that happens, diligence will give way to negligence. Compromise will give way and bring about conformity. 
while God wants us to be committed to the right purpose. And my dear friends, if the world around us is to change, then there's something that needs to change in your life and in my life. Because that's where it starts. We're all good at saying, somebody do something. And all the time, maybe God's just pointing to you and say, what are you going to do about it? Will you be the first one to step out and say, God, here am I. Use me as you wish. So committed life is defined by the right purpose. That we're heading, you will end up where you are headed. If you don't change the direction that you're heading, you will end up where you are headed. Will you be happy one day as you reflect on where you are headed? And if not, this is a good time to ask God to change directions, to help you change directions. Matt Emmons, in the 2004 Olympics, was about to win a gold medal. It was the 50-meter, three-position rifle shooting contest, and this was the finals. He was in his final shot, and he was streets ahead of any one of his competitors to win the gold medal. And so he stood there in the place where he was coached and trained to stand. He took careful aim as he has been coached and as he had practiced many times in his life to take that shot. He took a deep breath and pulled that trigger. All he needed to do was not even hit the bullseye. He just needed to get that shot somewhere within that ring and he would take the gold medal. And so he took careful aim and did what he knew best and he pulled that trigger and that bullet went right through that center bullseye. But what was strange was that usually what takes place when you hit the, the bullseye didn't happen to his surprise. And he, he stood there, he realized that he stood on a particular lane and he hit the bullseye on the target in the next lane. And he went on from being a gold winner or potential gold winner to finishing up eighth in that competition. It's a great story. He regretted it for a long time to come. But you know what? That reflects sometimes what would happen with many of our lives. I wonder what it is that you're focused on. What is your mission as an individual? What, are you, what is your priority? Are you focused on what God wants you to focus on? Or one day when you get to the end, will you find that you have pursued the wrong things and the wrong priorities? Good things sometimes, taking care of family, providing for children, taking care of the education, working in a local church, all of those good things. But just be sure that the things that you're focused on and what your priorities are, are the very things that God wants you to be focused on right now. A life defined by purpose. That's a committed life. The second, a committed life is also a life that's defined by passion. If you look at Habakkuk chapter 2, 
we see two things that Habakkuk was deeply passionate about. Look with me at verses 1 to 4. Let's just look, read through that quickly. Here's what he says. I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am re reproved. Verse 2. And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision, make it plain upon tables, that he may run that readeth it. Verse 3, for the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak, and not lie, though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come. Look, look with me at verse 4, behold my soul, which is lifted up, is not upright in him but the just shall live by faith. And so we see two things here that the prophet talks about that he was passionate about. He says, I will stand upon my watch. My friends, that's a personal decision that the prophet had to make. And that's always a personal decision that you and I would have to make. It conveys seriousness of purpose and intent. He says, set me upon the towers. In other words, he says, I will take my place, God, that you want me to take. And that talks about attitude. It talks about alertness. It talks about attentiveness. And then he says, to see what ye shall say unto me. It describes receptiveness to the word of God and to what God was trying to get his attention and tell him. And then he goes on to say, and what I shall answer when I am repro reproved. And it speaks of responsiveness. That's what we see there. And it describes how God desires that you and I will respond to the word of God. And what the presence of God will and the impact that it can have in our lives. This, my friends, is a Christian who is intentional and passionate. about, And he cares about what God wants in his life and wants to see in and through his life. But not only is he this committed individual passionate about God's word, as you and I need to be, but he talks about how he was passionate towards a cause that you and I also need to be passionate about. Here's what he writes. He says, write the vision, make it plain upon the tables that he may run that readeth it. You and I are entrusted with a message and that's a message that has been entrusted upon us with great urgency for this time. And God desires that we would understand the truth of it. In other words, there's God understand that we understand that there is no other way. That he and that we understand that he who wins souls is wise. That's what God said. That we understand also not only the truth, but we understand the timing. Because the, the verse there talks about how there is an appointed time. And I don't know what that appointed time for you and me is. It could be at the time of the rapture, which could be imminent. It could be this next very moment. And the question is, can I stand before him? Can you stand before him and say, God, I have done my best with what you have given me and what you've called me to do. And not only do we understand the truth and understand the timing, but we understand his trustworthiness. My dear friends, 
He's just been a trustworthy God. He's just been a life-changing God to you. And he's been a God that's just ready to reward any one of us and every one of us. At how much, there is, how much the world outside needs to hear. That there is truth. That he is the only way. That there is an appointed time even for them. And their time is running out. If they don't make that decision with regards to where they would spend eternity. But it is also a trustworthy saying that just like he's changed your life, he can change theirs. And they need to hear that. You know, so a life that is committed is committed to a purpose. A life that is committed is committed to a passion. A passion for the word of God and a passion for a cause that God's entrusted to you and me. Well, finally, this morning, it's also a life defined by prayer. A life defined by a purpose. A life defined by a passion. And a life defined by prayer. You know, when you look at that video, and when you had the opportunity to contemplate the needs of the 1040 region, you just write one word across that. And you say, impossible. How is it possible that in our lifetime, that 5.4 billion people can hear a clear presentation of the gospel in a language that they understand? How is it possible that we can get an army of laborers that are willing to go to all corners of the world, boldly, not fearing for their life, how is it possible for us to get a Bible and a copy of God's word that we want them to be passionate about in their local languages into every home? Today, we had a container leave the United States from bearing precious seed, carrying 24,000 Bibles into Asia, which hopefully we should get by February next year. But that is just a tip of the iceberg. Supporting 60 national pastors, that's a tip of the iceberg. The need is far greater. And we wonder, God, how is that going to happen in our lifetime? But it's no different from the time of Habakkuk. And so if you look at chapter 3, chapter 3 is his prayer. Look at what, how he starts. Is is a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet. Look at verse 2. O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, <clears throat> revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known in wrath and remember mercy. Here's an individual, as he saw the need around him, he just knew there's only one thing he can do. And that is just to get on his knees and his face before God and cry out to God. And if there's anything that any one of us can do, all of us here, without exception, we may not be able to get on a flight and go to Bangladesh or Pakistan or some corner of Asia. But you can say, God, I'm going to pray about it from today. God, I'm going to commit to taking maybe 10 minutes, whether it's at 10.40 in the morning or 10.40 in the evening, 
to pray that God would do something in this region so that every can, everyone can hear the gospel. My dear friends, it's prayers like that that have brought down the Iron Curtain and it's prayers like that that have accomplished much. It's prayers like that that have brought people that somebody thought had no hope of coming to the, coming to the Savior to a place where they've given their life to you. It's probably a prayer like that that's resulted in you being here this morning because somebody cared and somebody prayed. So as you consider the impossibility of the task of the world around us, your prayer life can make a difference. You know, I wonder when you were in Sunday school whether you learned that chorus, my God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There is nothing my God cannot do. I'm sure you believe that, right, as you sang it at that time. What happened to our faith? What happened to our faith in a God we thought can do the impossible, that he can divide the ocean, that he can do anything that he wants to do? He still can if we will get on our face before him and say, God, would you do that again, God? Would you do some things that are impossible so that everyone in this region can hear the gospel once? That's the number one on my list of impossible prayers that God can do. And I just ask that you would join with me in doing that. He can change your world today. He can change the world around you today if you will give him opportunity. The result of Habakkuk's prayer resulted in a change in his faith. And that's what chapter 3 is all about. I want to encourage you to just study this book. It's such a tremendous book because we see three things there. The first is, as he prayed, his faith brought him to a place of complete surrender before the Lord. Here's what he says, O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. Revive thy work. It brought him, you know, to the place, no doubt, where Isaiah was at when Isaiah wrote chapter six, 66, verse 2. I'll read that for you. Here's what it says. For all those things hath mine hand made, and all those things hath been, saith the Lord. Listen carefully. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. Will you promise to be that man? Would you promise to be that lady? Would you promise to be that young person that is willing to say, God, I just want to get serious with you. And God, I want to be that person that's contrite and broken and surrendered, ready for you to do what you desire to do in my life. My dear friends, that can begin this morning, right at this altar. So reaching that part of the world of 5.4 billion people, or reaching that one person that's been on your prayer list for a long time for salvation, can begin right this morning at this altar through a surrendered life. And your willingness to once again prioritize prayer
in your life. Where the secret place is one that you will not neglect. But you will come in. And even as Matthew chapter 6 verse 6 says that you'll be willing to shut the door to all of the other priorities and keep them outside that door. So that you can commune alone in the presence of God. And he can have all of you and your attention. But interestingly, that surrendered faith that you see here and you read about in chapter 3 went on to become a faith that was a seeing faith. Because Habakkuk, as he began to pray, once again realized who God was. He was able to see who God was. He was able to just understand the presence of God. But not only understand the presence of God in his life, he was able to understand the power of God in his life. If you look at you know, verses 3 all the way down to verse 9. And finally, Habakkuk in the hands of an almighty God was not only surrendered, not only did his faith allow him to see what God can do and what God wanted him to see, but his faith and his prayer life allowed him to sow. In fact, what a tremendous few verses right at the end. If you look at verses 16 to 19, and I'll just read that. Let's look at that together. Here's what it says. He says, when I heard, my belly trembled, and my lips quivered at the voice. Rottenness entered into my bones, and I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. Look at verse 17. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vine, the labor of the olive shall fail, the fields shall yield no meat, the flocks shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stall. Look at the next verse. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make me, he will make my feet like hinds feet. In other words, he says you're not going to slip you're not going to stumble. Look at what he goes on to say. He says, he will make me to walk in high places. Yes, my friend, he'll allow you to experience some things that you feel are impossible for your life. But that's what he's promising. And then he goes on to say, uh, and, 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 he, and he will walk with me in high places. That's God's promise to you. And that's just like it was to Habakkuk. Your prayer life, just like his, can lead you to a place of surrender. It can lead you to a place where you see some things and learn some things about God and about what he can do in and through your life. And it can lead you to a place where you can sow no matter what the obstacles are. Without stumbling, walking in high places, but living a life that is bringing him pleasure. Isn't that what he wants from you? He wants you to live for his pleasure. Isn't that what you would want for yourselves, that you are living for his pleasure? And God promises that. If, like Dr. King, we're willing to say, I want to live a committed life. 
I want my life to be one that is defined by purpose. I want my life to be defined by the right passion for his word and for the cause that he has given you and me. And I want my life to be defined by prayer. And when your life is defined by prayer, you'll see your faith take a journey that God desires to take you on. Eight billion people, 5.4 in the 1040 region, desperately needing to hear a clear presentation of the gospel. If they had the opportunity to hear and they made the choice to ignore that message, that sits with them. But if they haven't had the opportunity to hear, that sits with us. There was a film that came out in 2010 that won the Academy Award, one of the Academy Awards. It was a film that was titled Blindside. The film is about and it chronicles the story of a Christian family that took a homeless young man and gave him a chance to reach his God-given potential. Michael O. not only dodged the hopelessness of his dysfunctional inner city upbringing, but became the first round, became the first round, became a first round NRL draft pick for the Baltimore Ravens in 2009. At a recent fundraiser, Sean Toy noted that the transformation of his family and of Michael all started with two words. When they spotted Michael walking along the road on a cold November morning in shorts and a t-shirt, Leanne, that's Sean's wife, uttered two words that changed their world. She told Sean, turn around. They turned the car around and went back and picked up Michael and put him in the warm car. And they adopted him into their family. Those two words can change your life. I wonder what it is. What is it that God would want you to turn around from today? It could be you're sitting here and you've heard the gospel. How Jesus Christ came and died for you on the cross. And you've been indifferent about it. But before we reach 5.4 billion people outside, I want you to know, my friend, that God loves you. And maybe today is about you turning around and say, I'm willing to surrender and give my life over to God. But if you are a Christian today, this morning, I wonder if God wants you to reconsider your priorities, your purpose, what consumes you. Maybe for someone else today, the turning around, maybe once again to prioritize that prayer closet in your life and the word of God in your life. I don't know what it is for you. But this morning, maybe not about the 5.4 billion. This morning, maybe just about you. And God wanting you to just reconsider what he desires of your life. And I wonder today if you would be willing to say, 
what I'm willing to commit. I'm willing for you to reorder my purpose, my passion, my priorities. Everything begins with a decision. Then you've got to manage that decision for the rest of your life. And I said right at the beginning, if you don't change the direction you're heading, you will end up where you are headed. Shall we bow our heads and just, I'm going to ask Pastor Hernan if you would please come, Pastor Hernan, and just have the invitation.